Rattled and Shook is released weekly, every Thursday, and brought to you absolutely free. But if you want to listen ad-free, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfootplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get exclusive bonus episodes. For more information, check out the show notes. Now, enjoy the episode. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. I'm sick of saying hi, I'm April. Do you want me to start? Do you want to switch? Yeah, let's just see how it goes. Okay. Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm April. And this is Rattled and Shook. A podcast where we tune into scary stories and discuss our deepest, darkest fears. But in a fun way. I'll be honest, that felt weird. <laughs> yeah, that didn't feel comfortable. Never again? <laughs> yeah, let's just never talk about that again. So I've got a question for you. Okay, great. And it kind of goes on theme with this episode. Mm. And I want to know if uh, you've ever taken a road trip, like a true American road trip. Um, I haven't done a true American cross-country road trip. I really want to. What I would like to do, I've always wanted to do this, is hit all of the like silly landmarks across mm, america mm. you know like the world's biggest rocking chair the world's biggest like ball giant of yarn. potato yeah the biggest shoe the biggest anything <laughs> okay but uh how about you what's the longest distance you've driven <laughs> <laughs> um i like driving but i try to minimize like driving mm. kind of always <laughs> even though i like it as any true la resident exactly does <laughs> i keep my commutes few and far between that's why we don't record in person anymore. <laughs> hey, sometimes we do. We will. <laughs> we will. We will. And that won't require me driving. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> That's yeah, true. You, can, you come over here. But <laughs> I've like done road, like little road trips here and there. Um, mm -hmm. I've had like some scary scenarios. I've like definitely been on the road where it was like torrential downpour and I couldn't see in front of me. You know, I've I've seen a bad accident you know mm. i've been where like i suddenly had no service and it was dark as hell mm. but nothing that's like left a lasting scar thankfully okay well yeah that's good yeah yeah always good that's what i can hope for in <laughs> life <laughs> no lasting scars please speaking of driving at night one of the scariest things for me being on the road at night in particular is uh my astigmatism <laughs> oh my god it's it's a terrifying thing. Remind honestly. me to never get in a car with you at night. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, okay, I don't get into accidents. I'm I have a pretty good track record on the road. But she's a bad but driver. There's she's a bad driver. <laughs> I don't think I'm. You know what? I'm actually fairly good at maneuvering the car, but <laughs> this is not sounding good. <laughs> to compensate for um my do you have spatial uh spatial issues i have spatial issues gotcha yes mm. so like i i have pretty good reaction times so i have avoided potentially bad situations but 
Yeah, I have spatial issues and I have astigmatism. The cards are stacked against you. They really are. So, you know, if you want a designated driver, uh, it's probably not going to be me for the night. Great excuse. That's a good way. Great excuse, April. (laughs) So to the point of all of this, uh, we're talking about bad road trip experiences in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I am very um, excited about the first story because it's actually my dad. Yeah. I did this interview with him um, a few weeks ago. Oh, should I act like I don't know? Should I be like, woo, or ooh? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, we should keep this in. We should keep this in right now. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) April knows it's my dad. (laughs) I'm like, I did just spend a couple of hours working on this story. No, it's okay. Yeah, he had a good one. Yeah, it's a good story. Um, I'm excited that. He will be a part of the podcast. Yeah. And now we will have heard both my mom and dad. Yes. All right. It's it's a family affair. Just just your family. <laughs> <laughs> I'll maybe get my like sister on here or my niece. My niece can be scary. <laughs> hey, tell her to rack up some weird experiences. Mm. I know she's like four. Yes, in her six years of oh, age. Six. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? She comes up with some stuff. I have to say, she's got she's got a mind for this stuff. For horror. I definitely believe it. I mean, I think it runs in your family. Mm. Not to not to be blunt about it, but you're a little creepy. So I thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. I know. Yeah. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> and without further ado, here's my dad's story. This would have been, um, I think, in the late 80s. I was driving from Colorado about an hour north of Denver, and uh, I was driving back to New Orleans. I had bought a uh, little sports car for my sister. It was a uh, Datsun 280ZX. She was going to sell it, and I decided I wanted it, so I bought it from her, and I was driving it home to New Orleans. It was a little red sports car. It was fast, and it had very good steering. But I wish I still had it, to tell you the truth. It took me close to 27 hours, I think, to drive from uh, where I was in northern Colorado down to New Orleans. I just stopped to eat, but I didn't stop and use a a hotel or anything. I probably should have, but I didn't. I had to be back at work, and since I knew I was driving fairly long, I was probably listening to music and drinking Coca-Colas. I think I had a couple of six-packs of Coca-Cola sitting on the seat next to me so I could uh, make it home in time. So I was in the um, western edge of Texas in a fairly barren part of the trip. I had music on pretty much the whole time. You know, it, it helped. It helped keep your attention. The only thing I had was the radio that came in the car, and it didn't have... Um, even a tape deck in it. And there weren't any CDs then. So um, it was whatever I could get over the radio. And right where I was there in western Texas, I was able to get some uh, AM radio. It was probably talk radio. There really wasn't much there at all, just the uh, road I was driving on. I guess it was called an interstate at the time. It's not like it was a, uh, a big interstate the way you think of interstates now. It may have been the biggest road that was in that particular area, 
but there really wasn't much traffic at all. It was fairly deserted where I happened to be. I had gone through, uh, I guess Amarillo, I had gone through Amarillo, but I couldn't tell you exactly town-wise where I was because there really wasn't anything there. There was literally nothing there. I was in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, from a distance, I could see that there was um, a light on. It was on the right side of the road. And the closer I got, the more I could tell, well, you know, that's a phone booth. And right on the other side of this little road that I was at, uh, there was a stop sign. That was it. Stop sign and, and the phone booth. Well, and I remember seeing it from a distance and thinking, well, oh, that's unusual to see that there, but in those days there were no cell phones or anything, so I guess it's probably a good time to call my wife. And I remember where that phone booth was was sort of unusual because you had a scan on the radio where you could hit scan and it would stop at the next uh, station. And I remember hitting scan and it would just go round and round and round and never stop because there was no station that you could get. It hadn't gotten dark yet, but it was in the process of getting dark. So I would say it was, you know, it was sort of twilighty. And one of the reasons that I remember that was because the light was on in the phone booth and that's why I saw it. And so it was a little strange driving down the road and all of a sudden you saw this plexiglass phone booth sitting there with the light on and nothing else around it. But again, it allowed me to pull over and use it, which I thought was nice until I felt like I was on the twilight zone. <laughs> Only thing around was this one road which was going perpendicular to the road I was on and uh, was going off into the distance through these trees. So as I pulled up, I looked down the road to see, you know, where is it going? Because I thought maybe this is somebody's driveway or it's going to a ranch or, you know, maybe headed towards a town or something. Well, it didn't seem to be headed towards anything. It just sort of, sort of got dim and distant, and then you, you couldn't see anything at the other end of it. But again, I thought, well, you know, this is nice. I'll go ahead and make a call while I can. It's an old rectangular type of phone booth that you could go in and close the doors, and when you close the doors, the light came on, and then you could see through it because there's plexiglass on the outside. And once I got in the phone booth, actually before I got in the phone booth, I hadn't seen a car for a while going in any direction, the other direction or my direction. So again, I kind of felt by myself. Well, I was, I was standing in the phone booth and I was talking uh, to my wife and I just happened to be looking down the road that was there. As I was looking down the road, thinking, well, there must be something down there. I mean, what, where, where's the road going? I happened to be glancing through the trees, and that's when I saw a shape move from one tree to another tree. To me, it seemed like a person. I mean, it wasn't just like a, a cow or anything like that. It was a stand-up shape. I mean, I could see a body and a head, and you could see arms. Yeah, no, it was definitely a person. Definitely a person, no question about that. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area. And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. They were on both sides of the road. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. 
It wasn't like there were three people walking up the road talking to each other. They weren't on the road at all. All I could really see was sort of shadowy figures, of which there were several. So they'd move from one tree to the other tree, and then there would be a pause before they moved again. They were definitely hiding behind the trees. And so what was the deal with that? And, and you remember, it was getting darker the whole time when there were no street lights and there were no house lights. There were no lights. So the only light that was around was the phone booth light. And I was in that. So I felt like I was definitely sticking out like a sort of thumb. So if it had been completely dark, I would have been in the phone booth with this little dweeby light on over my head and they could have been walking towards me and I wouldn't have seen them until they were a couple of feet from the phone booth, maybe. And if I hadn't noticed that, that would have been, I think, potentially very bad. But I, I couldn't see that anything was being done. It's not like they were sawing wood or, you know, putting up signs or nobody was shooting guns that I could hear. And again, I was in the phone booth, so me talking was probably the only noise around other than the fan at the top of the phone booth. Because in those days, when you shut the doors on the phone booth, there would be a fan that would go on to kind of aerate it a little bit, because people used to go into phone booths to smoke cigarettes and stuff like that. They usually had a fan in them, and that made it hard to hear anything on the outside. I couldn't hear them at all. They were moving towards me, and I didn't think of any good reason why that would be a good thing to happen. <laughs> Once I got close enough, I decided it was, uh, it was time to hang up and get in the car and get the heck out of there. I thought they had gotten close enough. I was still on the phone uh, with my wife, and uh, I told her that um, I was going to be hanging up. <laughs> it was going to be leaving, and I thought I could see some people coming towards me up this little road. Though I don't think she perceived how eerie it really was. The closest one was probably one swimming pool length. And 10 to 15 yards from the phone booth was sort of cut grass. So they would, would have run out of trees when they got that close. And I didn't think I should be hanging around when they ran out of trees. I got in the car, and fortunately, my car started. I, wasn't, I hadn't broken down. or. You know, I had plenty of gas, and I mean, I guess that could have been worse. I mean, if you had a flat tire or run out of fuel, it would have been very creepy. Because what were you going to do? I mean, you, there weren't many people driving by, if any, and it was unusual just to see the phone booth there. That's one reason why I pulled over. Strange pace to have a phone booth by itself. <laughs> did it feel like a trap? Well, it did a little bit in a way, because, you know, what was the reason for a phone booth to be there? You know, there wasn't a gas station there. There wasn't in a, uh, in a restaurant or a hotel or anything. There used to be phone booths all over the place, but not in the middle of nowhere because, you know, they would be trying to make some money. I drove away and sort of used my mirrors just to see if there was any motion as I was leaving. But it wasn't like anybody came running out of the woods at me or anything like that. So I don't know, maybe they were waiting for the next person to pull over and use the phone. I felt like I was being watched and I was being approached, not necessarily with good intent. I felt like I was being set up to be somehow robbed or attacked in some fashion. I thought it was definitely time to leave. Otherwise, I thought I might be in the newspaper. <laughs> it was just time to go. 
Again, sort of felt like you're in Twilight Zone. That's what it felt like. Definitely eerie. Well said, Dad. Yes. Well said. Very well said. Creepy stuff. Definitely eerie. He had a good voice for this story. I It just like really worked. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I actually totally know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. I thought the same thing listening back. And I think my dad was worried about that because um, I didn't think he doesn't know how he's going to sound. And mm-hmm. man, the vibes of this story, like the 80s are palpable. Yeah. And he's he's got like and I mean this in the best way. He's got like a bit of like a weathered sound to his voice. Oh, yeah. And it just sells it so well. Oh, 100 percent. You know, like I was on the road and in those days there was a tilt, you know, like 100 <laughs> percent. It feels so right. Yeah. Um, When did you first hear this story? Like when did he first tell you this? So um, I think I was actually talking to my brother about Rattled and Shook and I, and he was like, well, you should have dad tell you the story that he had like on uh when he was doing that road trip and i was like Mm -hmm. what and he was like yeah you should have dad tell you the story about the people that came out of the woods i was like what (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know i I guess my dad and my brother had had this heart to heart before Mm. but um i had not heard the story until he told me the story on mic oh wow yeah whenever i hear stories like this where it's like a trap you know where someone puts like something that blocks the road or something to entice someone off the road. I I log these things. Yeah. I'm like, if there's a tree branch in the middle of the road, turn around or drive around it. Just keep plowing through. Yeah. Um. Well, I don't know if you should. You just told us about your driving, but okay. <laughs> but um, stigmatism be damned. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there's something about the story, like the visuals of it. Mm-hmm. The visual of just like driving in the middle of nowhere and seeing this like dim light in the distance. Yep. And it's just a lone phone booth. It feels like it's in a sci-fi movie. Like mm-hmm. that is never a thing now. I mean, obviously we all have cell phones and we're all super popular and cool. But just the the look of that, I want someone to put this into a movie. Yeah. Great visual. A little bit like Lone Desk. It's like this thing just out in the middle of nowhere that seems so out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were writing this movie, he would get into the phone booth and it would like transport him somewhere. It would be like a Doctor Who so situation. Doctor Who. <laughs> so you're yeah. <at> Doctor Who. <laughs> Damn it. They stole my idea. That's so funny. <laughs> but I love how he describes it where it's just like there's no light anywhere else except for the phone booth. And then once he gets inside, he's like a sitting duck. Mm-hmm. While he watches these shadows darting through the trees toward him. Mm-hmm. That is so ominous. Ugh. So creepy. Yeah. It's one of those things where I'm like, oh, God, never let that happen to me. But I will listen happily to this story because it's, <laughs> it's such a fun, creepy thing, uh, especially because no one got hurt. Yeah. I mean, definitely really great that no one got hurt um, because now I'm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We're making this podcast. <laughs> But yeah, I think uh, it definitely feels very real and very possible and a little otherworldly. Yeah. And like he didn't, he could see some, but he like didn't know how many. Mm -hmm. Like there's this idea that like 
the woods could be full of them. Yeah. That it's just like an endless line of spooky people. Yeah. There's something about it that almost felt alien-esque to me. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, where, who's out here? Alien or like cryptid mm-hmm. arena. Or like we were talking about before, it feels a little like the wrong turn horror movie. Yeah. Shout out to Rob Barricano, who's yeah. the director. He was my professor. Uh, my mom loves your movie. She's a big fan. Aw. Shout out Rob. Yeah. But yeah, the wrong turn movie where it's like you basically get lost in the backwoods and come across these like messed up inbred people. Woods people. <laughs> right. It's like get the hell out of there because yeah. who knows what these people are going to do to you. Ugh. Yeah. It does make me think of like mini family road trips where there would be signs along the road that said things like corn, berries, corn, traveling circus, whatever. <laughs> oh, like it's like a farmer's market? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Every once in a while, it wouldn't just be right on the side of the road. There would be a sign with an arrow that's like, turn down this road mm-hmm. for corn. And you got to do it. There's corn down there. Or is there? Or is there a backwoods inbred person ready to, you know, skin you? <laughs> <laughs> that's just, you're going to have to find out. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely am. I'm definitely cognizant of where I stop. Mm-hmm. Even to get gas on like a road trip. Oh, yeah. Gas stations are some of the most dangerous places. Creepy. Creepy. I hate gas stations. Yeah. I hate gas stations. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm definitely wary about where I'll pull over. Yeah. You have to show me the goods before I pull over. You know, if you're selling jewelry on the side of the road. I need to see some merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see some of your finest rubies. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I hope... Uh, I hope you all enjoyed that story. It was good. Good stuff. Well, glad my dad's safe. Me too. I'm glad your dad's safe. And I'm glad that, um, you know, you were born. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. And now a word from our sponsors. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
Here's another story. This happened in 1990 when I was uh, 10 years old, and I've thought about this at least weekly for the last 32 years. It's tattooed on my brain. So, it's December 1990, and it's Christmas break. My parents make plans to visit extended family in Salt Lake City, Utah. But since we have some extra time, we decide to leave early and drive to the Grand Canyon in Arizona, then drive to Salt Lake. The Grand Canyon was great, but on our last day there, we end up taking a little too long to pack up and leave. So it's about 8.30 p.m. by the time we get on the road. 45 minutes into the drive, everyone realizes we haven't had dinner, and we're all exhausted. My parents agree to stop, but they want to get to Utah first before we can find a place for dinner and maybe even look for a hotel. About another hour passes, and we see signs for a town just past the Utah border called Kanab. It's dark and well after 10 p.m. by the time we roll into Kanab. We're all deliriously tired, a little dirty from the canyon, and starving. Kanab is a tiny town with one main road and not much else, at least in the year 1990. By 10 p.m., everything is closed. We almost settle for getting snacks out of the vending machine at the gas station. I had my eye on a crystal Pepsi and some jerky. But from the gas station, my mom spots some Christmas lights up the road, wrapped around a, a sign from a rinky-dinky little diner. I think it was called um, the, the Wagon Wheel or, or the Stagecoach or, or some equally folksy name. The sign says 24 hours, but the parking lot is empty and the diner doesn't have any front windows, so we can't tell if the lights are on inside but we decide to try it anyways. All four of us get out of the car and my dad tugs on the diner's front door. It opens. We head in and the cook behind the counter looks at us surprised. He, he stammers at first, but eventually says, uh, Hi folks, uh, sorry about the mess. Uh, some of the stockyard boys had a disagreement. Um, uh, we were actually just about to close up because of it. We look over to the far side of the diner and see overturned chairs, toppled tables, broken glass, and a uniformed cop near that end of the counter having a cup of coffee. My dad steps further in, then tells the cook, uh, we'd appreciate a quick meal. The cook says, the grill's already turned off and uh, cooled down. My dad pulls out a $50 bill and puts it on the counter. Here, this plus whatever the bill comes to. We'll take cold sandwiches, some sodas, and coffee. The cook looks at the cop who doesn't say anything, then at my dad and says, Okay, I can get the boys pie and we got one tuna sandwich and a chef salad in the chiller case. My dad tells him, deal, and we proceed to sit down at the table at the non-messed up side of the diner. The cook brings two pieces of pie, the packaged food, two Cokes, and two coffees to the table. We start to eat, but right away the tension in the room makes everything feel heavy. There's a strange, unspoken understanding amongst my family that no one should talk, just eat. I'm sitting at a seat that faces the cop at the other end of the diner, and he keeps glancing over at us and sipping his coffee. I keep accidentally making eye contact, but instantly look down every time. The cook is standing behind the counter watching us and not moving. It feels dangerous, like at any moment these locals could start messing with us. Through the tension, the cook asked, Oh, that's an Aerostar van you got. 
At the time, I wasn't sure why my dad said this next part, because the van was a rental from the dealership where he worked, and it was brand new. We were the first people to ever drive it. But he says, Yes, but it's having overheating issues. Have to stop at every gas station we see just to fill the radiator. The cook nods and doesn't say anything. I watch my parents exchange hard, knowing glances, and both of them refuse to look up at the cook or the cop. The tension only gets worse, and it's so quiet we can hear each other chewing. It feels like the silence, the hard looks, and the micro-movement are all part of some sort of competition. Like one wrong move or sound means you lose whatever fucked up contest this is. And the consequences of losing is, is gonna be bad. The cook and the cop just keep watching us, hardly moving. The minutes drag on. Every bite of food seems like it's taken forever to chew and swallow. Finally, my seven-year-old brother scoots his chair back across the linoleum and stands up to declare, I have to pee. The cook looks to the hallway with the bathrooms and then steps out from behind the counter. Bathrooms are busted up too, can't let you back there. My brother does the dance and uh, for the first time out of nowhere the cop says, piss outside, everyone else does. My brother starts towards the door but my mom grabs him and says the weirdest thing I've ever heard her say. Wait honey, and we'll all go pee together. My dad chugs the rest of his coffee and we get up. We've probably been in the diner for less than 10 minutes at this point. But my dad says, uh, what do we owe you? The cook in an ominous as hell tone says, whatever you think is fair. My dad holds up another 50, then sets it down on the table. We hustle to the van and peel out of there. No chance we're getting a hotel. In the car, we talk about how weird that whole thing felt and how these small town locals must not like outsiders in their business. My parents talk about spending their last hundred in cash on the worst meal they've ever had. My dad drives us all the way to Salt Lake City, another five hours on pure adrenaline. We get to my grandmother's house and settle in. During dinner on Christmas Eve, we tell the story of our weird experience in the Kanab Diner, and our family says the same thing. Small town folks like their privacy. On Christmas Day, we were sitting around watching TV when the news announced that three nights ago in Oakley, Utah, a family came to their remote cabin for the holiday, finding two strange men inside. The men killed two of the people and shot another in the face. The news said police were searching for two men and that they had escaped a halfway house. Then they showed their pictures, which caused all of us to practically jump out of our seats. The two faces belonged to the cook and the cop. The report then went on to say that the men were thought to have also been involved in the robbery of a diner and the bludgeoning of its owner in Kanab, Utah. We later found out that the owner of the diner was tied up in the bathroom with a fractured skull while we were out front eating his food. My dad must have somehow known he needed to buy our way out of there and, and lie about the van. I often think about how we walked in on them in the diner the same way the family had walked in on them in the cabin. Only we were served food and allowed to go. They weren't as lucky. Pretty awful. Yeah. Pretty dark. If it weren't for the completely horrific ending, this would have felt like a dark comedy. Interesting. I did not read it that way. Really? Or listen to it that yeah, way. Yeah. I mean, like the description of 
you know, them trying to eat inconspicuously, Mm -hmm. like performing eating (laughs) in the diner. To me, it feels like, it felt very cinematic to me. Like it felt very like Fargo or something, you know? Mm, Yeah, but Fargo is a dark comedy. It is a dark comedy. Uh, I will say this felt like the darkest part of Fargo. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I know that there's some, there's like some levity there, but I think that the tension, Mm -hmm. the tension is felt. Oh yeah, and you can really feel the tension because this is like one of the only stories we've had that tells the story in the present tense, Yeah, which really worked Mm -hmm. well for like the immersion. I really like that about it. Speaking of like where we would pull off and being kind of wary about where we would pull off on a trip, Mm -hmm. so perfectly timed with this story. Yeah. It's like a classic scenario of people who are like so desperate, they don't even care. Mm -hmm. Ignore the warning signs. This this diner doesn't have front windows. (laughs) Definitely a little sus. Also, the food that was offered. Yeah. I was like. I'm not sure it's worth it. <laughs> it's like a sandwich with a bite taken out of it. It's a uh... yeah. It didn't sound very appetizing at all. But I totally felt the feeling of like you get so far in that you you feel that it's weird, but then you've gotten that far and you don't mm-hmm. want to make it weirder by pulling out. You know, you don't want to make it weirder yep. by pulling away too soon. Yeah, there are times when you know cut and run, and then there are times when you know you have to read the situation and they. Obviously, the dad and the mom both knew what was up. They knew to basically be like, hey, yeah. the, the, no, nah, the van's a piece of shit. <laughs> you don't want that van. And then like, you know, basically him paying them off. Yeah. Feeling the need to put down another 50. $50 for that um, food. Jesus. Yeah. Or for your life. That's a good way to look at it. Right. Small price to pay for your safety. Yeah. But I did not expect the twist of this story. Like, I did not expect what the crime was. Mm-hmm. I thought that originally there was like a standoff between the cop and the chef. Like, I thought mm. we were in the middle of like a sting or something. Yeah. It is like a really like sickening twist to it to be like the chef is in the back. Right. We were like eating his food and he was like in like peril. Right. That they had no idea. They had just come from committing basically a double homicide. Yeah. And had this man beaten and tied up while they were sitting there eating the most awkward dinner of their life. It's unreal. Yeah. It's unreal. It sounds like something out of a movie, but this was this was emailed in by a real person. Oh, yeah. This is something that happened to them. I understand why this has been uh, tattooed on your brain since childhood. Yeah. You have this idea that like establishments are a safe place to be. Mm-hmm. Like if you're out in the middle of nowhere, get to a diner, get to a gas station. And then this would completely mess with that view. I would never feel like stopping anywhere, especially at night. Yeah. And because there's supposedly a cop, there's supposedly an authority figure. Oh, yeah, that would mess you with know, me too. Whenever I hear about stories like this where it's like people impersonating cops, like that's the scariest thing to me. That's one of the scariest things. Because I agree. You don't have any power in that situation. hundred <laughs> percent. And speaking of road trips, I've thought about this. Like if I were out in the middle of nowhere and cop lights turned on to pull me over, I would not stop. Yep. You don't have to. I would call 911 and I would ask them, is someone pulling me over? Let me know. Yeah. Because I'm not going to pull over. That's what they advise you do. Yeah. Especially alone, driving at night. Middle of nowhere. Do not. Mm-mm. I wouldn't either. I'm just, I'm going to keep going. Yep. <laughs> 
Sorry. Well, I can do this for hours. <laughs> well, I'm glad that the person that sent this in, uh, that his whole family turned out okay. Yeah. And that they got to their destination. And I hope you never have to drive through Kanab again. Well, maybe we don't want to besmirch the name of Kanab. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to the tourism <laughs> board of Kanab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And now, more words from more sponsors. Wait, actually, I can't believe I didn't think about this. Something literally happened to me this weekend while I was driving. That was kind of weird. Oh. In LA, but far from where I live. And I was just driving by and this like guy was like, I could see he was like kind of getting out of his car, like his... He had pulled up to like the fire curb, you know, where it's like the curb is red. You're not supposed to park there. Uh It's just like right on the corner. And um, I could see that his door was wide open and his like feet were out into the road. It looked like he was going to get out of his car. But I just noticed the car there. I looked over at him and he looked like pained in the face and like like he wasn't doing well. And like for some reason, I was like, you know what? This looks weird. I'm just going to take the block. I'm just going to take the block and like circle back. And I took the block and I circled back and he was on the ground (gasps) in the road, like passed out. Oh my God. Car door still wide open, car on. I called 911. They passed me through to paramedics. They were like, is he breathing? Mm -hmm. I was checking his breathing. So you were like, yeah, there with him checking his vitals. Yeah. Well, it was it was alarming. So like they're like, check his breathing. Like, is he struggling? Is he struggling for breath? I was like, no, it's not that he looks like and he is breathing. Um, And then they're like, do you feel comfortable touching him? I was like, "Uh, I mean, not really, but okay." And they're like, "Okay, shake him. Was he completely out? Yes. I mean, I was like, sir, sir. So I'm shaking him. And then by this time, like a couple other pedestrians came by. But for a minute there, mm-hmm. it was just me on my phone, like yelling at this unconscious man, shaking him. And they on the phone, they were like, all right, well, like if his breathing gets worse, like we're going to have to start CPR. <laughs> I remember being like, oh, my God, what is going on? <laughs> Am I doing CPR? <laughs> yeah, I don't feel qualified for that. Um, well, your parents are doctors. <laughs> And so that passed through. The CPR (laughs) gene did pass down. But uh, and he like came to and it was like as the paramedics were coming around the corner. Did he come to as you were about to give him CPR? Like your mouth was hovering over his. Thank goodness. No, no. (laughs) But he did. He did. He was just kind of like, I'm good. And then got back in the car and and this one good Samaritan pedestrian was like, please call someone and have them drive you. Or stay for the. Yeah. And he was like, no, I'm good. And then he just drove away minutes after the man was unconscious in the middle of the road. Oh, no. The ambulance was on its way. So he booked it before they got the there. The ambulance got there. Oh, okay. But like they can't do anything or like detain someone. Right. They were like, is this the man that was passed out? And everyone was like, yes. And 
I think he like said his name and was like, I'm good, I'm good. And then they had to go. Like that's, they got other calls. Oh, man. But the man just like peeled away like minutes later. And I was like, okay, well, that happened. Yeah. All right. This man will never know that I was like shaking him <laughs> on the street. <laughs> uh, yeah. He'll never know that you were about to save his life. Tried. Anyway. Did he say thank you? Was he like, thank you for no <laughs> trying to help me? Or... No. no, he just, oh man. Not that I heard. I mean, not, you know, like I'm sure he was disoriented or Yeah, whatever. I think it's he was uh... very disoriented. I think he was very disoriented. I hope he's okay. I hope it didn't happen again. Yeah, I hope he's okay. I also hope he's not driving absolutely high out of his mind. Uh, yeah. But I'm not sure about either of those things. Um. Anyway, that's the last thing that happened to me in a car. Well, you know what? The world needs more people like you. I mean that. <laughs> because a lot of people will not stop. They wouldn't stop. Oh, my God. Thanks for your service. <laughs> Thanks, April. <laughs> Rattled and Shook is a Tenderfoot TV production in partnership with Odyssey. Executive producers are Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. Co-executive producer is Meredith Stedman. Hosted and produced by April Ruha and Meredith Stedman. Lead editor and sound designer is April Ruha. Additional production by Sean Nerney. Production management by Tracy Kaplan and Jordan Foxworthy. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Original art by Puppy Teeth. Follow us on social media at Rattled and Shook.